I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast. Steve Pelizzolo here with Sam Bonson, and we are going through Sam's mock draft. That's right. It's draft season and mock draft season, and we're going to be breaking it all down here today, Sam. Yeah, let's go. Let's do it. That's you it. You That's didn't it. Make we're it ready in. to go. You didn't make it in through the treacherous uh, conditions. I told you it was icy. I thought we had an agreement. We, were, we weren't going to risk it. I was doing that for you. I mean, I made it in. The Camaro Camaro sitting in the garage right now, covered in ice. You we know. have an ice storm right now, and I don't know if you're going to make it home, huh? Yeah, I don't know that either, but uh, we made it in. That's the important thing. And by we, I mean me well, and Tyler. You didn't make it anywhere. Well, I'm proud of you guys. You should uh, eat some Carolina Reaper over there. Mm, well, maybe. Maybe if we need, yeah. you know, if we're in here long enough, we might have to. Hopefully Tyler's uh, mouth is feeling better than yesterday. Uh, before we before we dive in, the NFL, the PFF NFL podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, and that's what we're going to do here today, Western and, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. You're buying your first home, planning to start a family, planning to add to your family of six, never know. Wondering how to make your money grow? Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions help you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. All right, Sam, let's get into this mock draft. How'd you feel for your first uh, mock draft of the year? Yeah, it was fun. Um, It's an interesting year, right, in the draft because... A, there isn't a quarterback that's that's going to go number one uh, because none of them are worth that number one spot based off what we know from them so far. But B, even if there was, you know, Jacksonville right now has that number one spot. Obviously, they drafted Trevor Lawrence. They're not they're not giving up on him after a year. They they would presumably try and trade down if there was that quarterback that was going to go number one that everybody wanted to get. Um, but as it is, we're kind of in the situation where. It's one of those weird years where a QB is not going number one, so who is it? And for a while, everybody's been talking about those edge rushers, and the alternative is, you know, offensive tackle. I think there's also a discussion to be had about, you know, maybe not, maybe this year isn't a great year to be making the point, but the league has pivoted ever more pass happy, and yet wide receivers and cornerbacks do not go number one. The last wide receiver that went number one overall was Keyshawn Johnson, right? Which essentially was before this explosion in passing. Like, the league has gone to a ridiculously pass-happy entity, and the last time a a wide receiver went number one was kind of predating that. A cornerback has never gone number one. And yet, when you look at the 
the kind of war numbers, the the areas where guys make the biggest impact outside of quarterback, it's probably those two positions. And for some reason, the, the league has kind of pivoted away, right? You're no longer getting running backs and linebackers and uh, defensive tackles going number one overall. But it doesn't seem to have, like, followed that logic through to, well, now it means you should be looking at the, like, the pass game positions. You should be looking at corner and, and receiver, and yet they're not. They just kind of default to, if no QB goes, then it's edge rush or tackle. Like, those are our two options. And I really think the, the reason for that is either scarcity or just hit rate, right? I mean, whether it's using uh, PFF grades, whether it's just, you know, regular traditional scouting methods or whatever, corner, traditionally, one of the more difficult positions to to hit on, you know, in the draft. Usually, a lot of times you do have like a Patrick Peterson, though, or a Jalen Ramsey that, all right, everybody agrees this is the top guy. And those would be the types of guys I think that are capable of going number one overall. But, you know, overall, cornerback is tough to hit on. And as much as I like to put receivers in the first round and say stock up on these dudes, there is a pretty good hit rate or, or history of finding guys in rounds two and three, or even in undrafted free agency, you have guys that are at least productive as receivers. So I think that's part of it. Uh, but I think those discussions are absolutely on the table this year, because if you look at the Jackson, Jacksonville Jaguars at number one, they had, they do have needs everywhere, but in particular, if they're going to do well by Trevor Lawrence, they got to find people that can get open for him. So uh, and they got to cover on the back end. They, they their their secondary has issues as well, so they could be in the mix for for anybody anywhere. But it's the Jaguars at one, Lions at two, Texans at three. The other difference with this year's draft versus last year is last year we didn't know when we'd first see a defensive player off the board. Now we're talking about defensive players littered throughout the top ten and perhaps even in the top two. In your mock over at PFF.com, though, Jacksonville Jaguars they're going to go with the tackle Evan Neal from Alabama was this just like hey I have to make a pick this is the this is the play here you know how do you feel how do you feel about this at the, at the moment Evan Neal from Alabama yeah I mean the mock is it's a little bit of what I would do but a lot of it is kind of what teams I think are likely to end up doing I, I would look if it was me GM of all 32 of these teams I would start entertaining the idea of wide receiver or cornerback at number one overall and start looking for reasons not to draft somebody like Derek Stingley at, at number one. But I just don't think that's even a discussion that's being had in Jacksonville's war room, such as it is right now, with, with nobody, in the, nobody in the building in positions of power. Um, right. I, I just don't think that they're even having that discussion. Their, their conversation is Evan Neal, the tackle, or Aiden Hutchinson, or uh, Kayvon Thibodeau. Like, those are their... That's, that's the conversation that they're having, I think. And given the Trevor Lawrence thing, given that he didn't look great last year, that the offense was like built around him, just wasn't supporting him well enough, I think they'll default to, like, let's get him, let's get him a tackle. Let's get him a left tackle, you know, lock down that one spot on the offensive line and try and, try and build this thing around Trevor Lawrence. And I think Evan Neal would be the guy if you're taking a tackle number one. Yeah, with Cam Robinson, uh, they they franchise tagged him last year, so he's uh, he's a free agent. Jawan Taylor at right tackle hasn't been great either. Uh, you have Andrew Norwell, who's regressed a bit at left guard, and AJ Can also. I mean, three fifths of the Jacksonville Jaguars' offensive line is unsigned right now, and it's not like they were great when they were signed. Right. So, I don't hate that as a pick going with Evan Neal there. 
And the other part about the two edge defenders, uh, Aiden Hutchinson and Kayvon Thibodeau, the two guys that had been getting most of the hype there. Again, I, I don't think they're in the Bosa, Garrett, Chase Young conversation. I don't think they're at that level of slam dunk elite edge rusher. I think I think Thibodeau has shown flashes of that. He's got that one year of a 90-plus PFF grade. Aiden Hutchinson had one of the best PFF grades of all time at 94.5 this past year, but that was a, he went from really from good, a good solid player to a great player. So does the one year of production, you know, hinder, you know, their prospect status, Hutchinson and Thibodeau compared to the Boses and the Garrett's of the world who just were elite from start to finish of their entire career. So I think that's the other part, making that number one overall selection, a little iffy there for the Jaguars. There's not even a slam dunk defensive line prospect as there has been in previous years. Yeah. Um, the other guy that that probably is in the conversation, at least, uh, depending on whose mocks you look at, it would be Charles Cross, right? The tackle from Mississippi State. He's a guy that was a Dane Brugler, put number one in his mock. and Well, he put the uh, NC State guy, Icky. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, think, I, I think there are other tackles. The tackle... Evan Neal, I think, is the clear number one, but there are other tackles that people have ranked as number one that could potentially be in that conversation. Whereas edge, edge rusher, it's Hutchinson and Thibodeau. Like, there's no, there's no debate there. Those are the two. All right, so at number two, we get the Lions on the board. Uh, they have Jared Goff as their starting quarterback. So two and three are going to be the interesting ones with the Lions and the Texans because we always talk about, hey, look, you just go get the quarterback that you love. Doesn't matter. Quarterback's the most important position, all that stuff. But is there not a quarterback to love? Is there not one for the Lions, not one for the Texans right now? Lions also have a second first-round pick to play around with later. So what's their strategy going to be? Do they do they fall in love with a Kenny Pickett or a Matt Corral or anybody? I'm just going to mention names because it could be any of them yeah. at this point. Do they go get one at two? Or do they take the quote-unquote safer play here? Uh, in your mock, Aiden Hutchinson from Michigan. They stay local, play it safer, and we'll see if they end up circling back and looking at quarterback later. Yeah, I don't think there's any chance they can um, they can take a QB at number two overall. I just none of them. I don't think are worth that spot. They're uh, they're happy enough with their building project that they don't have to make that reach. And I think if Aiden Hutchinson doesn't go number one overall to Jacksonville, I think they would love. Uh, him lasting as as far as number two. I think they'd pretty much run that car right up to the to the podium, virtually. I assume. I don't know how's it how's it happening this year. Is it back in in person? I don't know. Probably some sort of hybrid in person, but with fewer people in person. Who the heck knows? But there'll be a card probably with Aiden Hutchinson's name on it if he's available at number two. I could absolutely see that happening. Hutchinson's the type of guy who went from first round caliber prospects to top five caliber prospects, as I was mentioned earlier this past year with the 74 pressures uh, in, in really a dominant season. I know there was a, there was a bitter taste in uh, analyst mouth when you watch the college football playoff and he didn't have as dominant of a game against Alabama, uh, sorry, against Georgia uh, in the college football playoff, but you know, 94.5 overall PFF grade plays the run size. And then you know, it, it's it's also sometimes tough to mock right now before we have workouts, right? We're still a month away from the combine. Hutchinson was on Bruce Feldman's freaks list. So he's going to test extremely well, assuming he tests. And I think that's only going to help 
his stock and has a chance to maybe separate himself from Thibodeau, who goes a little bit later on here in the draft for you. Yeah, like he, as you said, the thing that separates him from the Bosa's, the Miles Garrett's of the world is that his is only really that one year of phenomenal play, whereas those guys were basically amazing start to finish, particularly the Bosa brothers. Um, but that one year is right up there with those guys. So it, that it, it's another one of those tricky things of how much, how do you evaluate that? Do you trust that the one year of amazing production shows the ceiling and the player that he can be? And think that he's right there with those other guys, or how much do you value the extra sample size of those those other years that were at that level as well for the Bosas? Now we know that the Bosas translated basically immediately; like they went start to finish. They were amazing college players from day one to the end of their careers, and they stepped in and they were amazing NFL players right off the bat. Does that extra couple of years of sample size? ease that transition or is it simply reaching that insane level of grading where you're a dominant player that's what will help you translate the other thing i think that stands in hutchinson's favor is like there's a lot of talk about you know just how well he's going to test out from an athletic and a measurable standpoint and that i think that probably ends up cementing him as the best edge rusher in the class over thibodeau is that he's going to end up looking you know just as uh, every bit an athletic freak as well as a dominant player. All right, Houston Texans at three, similar dilemma as the Detroit Lions, right? They've got Davis Mills. He had a really nice season for a third-round pick. I, I can't imagine he's keeping the Texans out of the quarterback market just because he you know exceeded expectations and was probably the second-best rookie uh, behind Mac Jones, well behind Mac Jones, but uh, maybe the third-best rookie. But... The Texans have that dilemma, right? They need a quarterback, don't necessarily have a guy up here. Another defensive player for you coming off the board in Notre Dame safety, Kyle Hamilton. Uh, we're a year removed from seeing, say, the Kyle Pitts of the world, the Micah Parsons of the world, these guys who are, let's use let's use the word unicorns, right? I mean, we really don't have many players around the NFL that look like Pitts or look like Parsons or play like them. Maybe you could put Jamar Chase in that bucket as well. Is Kyle Hamilton that type at safety? I, yeah, so this, the, the Texans are in an interesting um, situation because like, they still need everything. When you look at the when you look at their roster, like they have half the team um, hitting free agency. Not that many of them are worth keeping around. Like somebody emailed us in and was sort of like, "Have the Texans achieved anything in the last twelve months other than just the passage of time?" Right. Casario came in, they signed all these guys, you know, they, they went on this run of flipping them for uh, like tiny, you know, low round draft picks, all this kind of stuff. But what, how many of the people that they brought in are like guaranteed uh, pieces of the future? And it isn't many. So they're in a, a kind of, in a, in a way they're in a good position because they need everything, right? And therefore they can they can just chase who they think the special player is. Like, you don't have to worry about um, what position is the most acute need, what posi- all this kind of stuff. You can just say, who is the most special talent at this spot in the draft? Because we need it. Like, there, there's no position that we have that will keep anybody out of it. So at that point, I think if you're chasing, like, you know, unicorns or chasing special, absurd playmakers – then I think Kyle Hamilton is is the guy that has that talent. Like he, his highlight reel tape is absolutely insane, 
and they can afford to chase the idea of we get like a safety typically is not the most valuable position in the NFL, but if you get a truly special rare talent, it can be. Yeah. So the Texans now up to nine draft picks, including four that aren't their own, right? So they have uh, a third round pick from the saints, fourth rounder from the Rams, uh, and then picks 205 and 206, you know, late in the draft Packers and Niners and then Dallas at 241. So, yeah, a lot of what the Texans have done is just to, you know, add depth and start to rebuild that roster. Uh, we kind of knew it would be a struggle. We kind of knew we'd look back at this past year and say, okay, what did they really add to the roster? So it's a crucial draft for them. I think that's what's going to be tricky, right? Because I, I, I love Kyle Hamilton. I mean, dude, some of the plays that he makes – as a center field safety or as just a, a deep safety, whether it's too high uh, split safety center field, doesn't matter. Just incredible range, incredible size, but safety at number three is going to be, uh, it's going to be a tough one. I think for, for the Texans, if that's, you know, the way that they go, I don't know if that's, if, if that's the the path of Hamilton being that high, but I do love the high end plays that he brings to the table. So just like I said, hey, corner's tough to take number one overall. Safety can be hit or miss, too, unless you just you just know that you've got that special prospect. Hamilton's close to that, though. Yeah, he really is. And, like, and I think that getting that special guy changes the dynamics in position value and all those kinds of things. Like when we were having the debate a couple of years ago, how high do you draft Quentin Nelson, right? He's a guard, so you can't take that very high in the draft. And he ends up going, what, number six? And he's been like the second most valuable offensive lineman in the NFL since he got drafted. Not guard, offensive lineman, period. Only one left tackle has been more valuable than Quentin Nelson since they, they drafted him. That, I think, I think Hamilton has the talent to upset that kind of dynamic at safety, right? Generally speaking, safety is not a valuable position at all. And you'd be like, why would you take a safety number three overall? But if that guy is, you know, the Quentin, the, the Quentin Nelson of the safety world, all of a sudden that completely upsets that entire, like, balance of, of positional value. That reminds me of the old Browns uh, axioms, we call them. They're, they're guardrails that, they, that, that were going, uh, going around the interweb a few years ago. It was all coming from Paul DePodesta, right? And um, so the analytics folks, right, these are the things – that they believe as an organization, one of them was never pass on a blue as in a blue chip player, as in a, uh, an elite player. And I do wonder if the Browns as uh, forward thinking as they've been from a team building standpoint, if they agreed with that about say running back and about uh, guards and about safeties and positions that are generally either cheaper on the open open market or just generally thought of as less valuable from a market standpoint. But the, but I think that's the idea, right? Like a blue chip player, at any position can also can have elite value. And I think, I think Quentin Nelson is a good example of that Kyle Hamilton certainly as a safety is in that discussion. But this becomes like the Texans pick almost becomes the pivot point of that draft, right? Where they go determines how everything else falls. If they draft a Kyle Hamilton, obviously what happens in the rest of this mock is fine. But like pretty much any other player is in play. They could grab Thibodeau. They could grab Stingley. They could, like, they could grab anything. Is it the most unpredictable one? I mean, look, this is Nick Casario coming from being with Bill Belichick for years. Bill Belichick already one of the most unpredictable drafters in in the NFL. Now you have Casario. Uh, 
I would say it was not a predictable first year for the Texans, the way they, the way they added all the mid tier free agent talent that we've talked about so much. So yeah, could be the most unpredictable pick in the draft. And it's right there at number three, Sam roses are red, violets are blue. Don't let a wild pube wreck you. Hmm. Valentine's Day is just around the corner. Our sponsors at Manscaped are here for you with the best tools to get your balls ready for the special occasion. This V-Day, it's time to join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped, the leaders in below-the-belt grooming, because we have an exclusive offer. You go to manscaped.com, use promo code PFF, and you get 20% off plus free shipping. The holidays went by so quickly. Did you remember to take care of your package with the best tools for your job, for the job? Oh, boy. Performance Package 4.0 for Manscaped is just the thing every guy needs in their life to make each and every day just a little more special. They want to propose to make February 13th a national holiday, calling it National Shave Your Balls Day. Who's with them? One holiday that both men and women can get behind. Manscaped created their products for a night just like this. It will make your V-Day date say, wow, great set of balls you have there. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. It's 20% off. With free shipping at manscaped.com, use the promo code PFF, join Cupid, and shoot your arrow with Manscaped this Valentine's Day. Smooth. Mm, Beautiful. Let's go to the Jets. They have numbers four and ten, and I don't think we we don't necessarily have to go pick by pick in this discussion. I think we, you know, when teams have multiple picks, we can lump them together. So, wow, you're just are are the are the Jets just going to go all offense here? with with Zach Wilson and uh, because again just like the Jaguars they have holes on both sides of the ball the Jets have a ton of draft capital obviously starting with four and ten here or do you ha- do you get a healthy mix you're going Derek Stingley at corner for yeah. LSU and then at ten Garrett Wilson the wide receiver from Ohio State I do think this would be quite the haul for the Jets if this is how it plays out Jets fans were big mad at at Derek Stingley at four they they assure me. That there is no chance, zero chance, it will not happen that they pass on Thibodeau at number four. Now, look. Really? <laughs> it's When I wrote this, it was still January. Uh, to be making 100% declarative statements about the draft in January is patently stupid. Like, it's idiotic, right? We know nothing for certain in January. We These are educated, best guesses. The Senior Bowl is still going on now. That changes, you know, the, the Senior Bowl practices. That changes where people rank. The whole process is still very much fluid. So to, to make any 100% declarative statement about what a team will or will not do at this point is just ridiculous, right? Sure, they might grab Thibodeau. It's entirely possible he is one of the best edge rusher prospects in this draft. He was a guy that many people were saying would go number one overall for a lot of this process. And for him to slip past the New York Jets at four, who do need edge rushers, would be a significant statement. But on the other hand, the Jets also desperately need cornerbacks. Like They have absolutely nobody in that secondary that is is holding his head above water. Like Bryce Hall maybe is the one guy that showed some flashes of could potentially be a starter, but... That secondary was absolutely ripped to pieces. The other element, by the way, is free agency hasn't happened, right? And this changes everything. Like a team signs a high-end starter in free agency, clearly they're unlikely to double up in the draft. So any mock draft that has them addressing that position immediately goes out the window. Like that's, that's part of the dynamics of doing these things in January and February. Yeah, we're currently looking at Brandon Eccles, Bryce Hall, 
Rashad Wild Goose, Justin Hardy, Isaiah Dunn. I mean, that's your cornerback room. Yeah. Right now, if you're the Jets. Michael Carter, it's lot. I mean, that's that's your cornerback room for the Jets. So yeah, uh, first off, it's never gonna happen, guy is the worst draft guy. Yeah. Never gonna happen, guy. If you're never gonna happen, guy, there's no way never gonna happen guy happen guy's gonna listen to our podcast. There's no way. They won't listen to us. I mean, they might listen and just spend every pick going, that's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. I mean, also, the odds are it's not going to happen. You're right. <laughs> like, the best mock draft predictors get, like, five picks right. So chances are you're going to be right. But it doesn't mean the Jets aren't going to be sitting there in their war room like, hey, Thibodeau and, uh, Thibodeau and Stingley. Stingley, it's going to be an interesting evaluation for him because I have never seen a freshman corner yeah. look like he did. In 2019, as a freshman, the movement skills, the ball skills. I mean, he looked like an NFL player immediately. And since that point, he's played 600 snaps, not even 600 snaps. And and they haven't been nearly as good. They're still good, but not at that level. It reminds me a little bit when you look at uh, Tredavious White's production profile at LSU. He was elite and then below average and then elite. Again, you know, kind of had this up and down career. Um, but again, corner is one of those positions where it's uh, production doesn't always directly translate and, you know, size, skill set and size and movement and all that stuff. And just general ability matters more uh, than maybe just pure production. And Stingley has all of that. I think he'd be an awesome fit for Robert Sala's scheme there in New York. Yeah, and I, I think corner, because of what we know about the cornerback position, right, and it's, it's inherent volatility in the fact that you can go from having an elite season to having an, an average or an above-average season and, and bounce back, and that's the nature of the thing. I think just having shown a season like that in college is important. So for Stingley, yeah, in an ideal world, I guess you want to see it as a sort of linear progression because it fits the, ni- the nice pattern that your brain wants to see from a, a prospect. Oh, look. He's coming into the NFL with the curve pointed upwards. But I think for corner in particular, like just showing that high end, just showing that this guy has elite cornerback coverage skills is the first thing. And then, okay, in an, it, it, generally you would want it to be the most recent thing you've seen. But for Stingley, the fact that he did that, and honestly, the fact that he did it so young and as a freshman is probably a, a benefit as well, as opposed to just randomly in the middle. Um like I, think, I think the fact that we've seen that high end from him should keep his draft stock really high. Like the injuries would be the concern rather than the, the drop-off in play. Yeah, the, uh, the argument that the Jets fans are bringing to the table, it's, I, 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 I don't think it's a, a wrong one either. I mean, I could easily see the Jets going with Thibodeau. They, they signed Carl Lawson last year, didn't get to see him on the field this season. Uh, but again, a solid scheme uh, often starts from the defensive line. I could see them wanting to pair if they had an opportunity to get a Thibodeau or uh, or Hutchinson, pair that guy with Carl Lawson, and generally Salah the Salah's done pretty well with the Jason Barretts of the world. Of course, he had Richard Sherman in San Francisco, but they've he's kind of done well with more of say the retread or veteran corners. So I think yeah, free agency is going to be a big one to just see how the Jets attack that position and what's available still in the draft. What about circling back at 10 with Garrett Wilson? Is this a, is this an element where the jets would just be grabbing the best wide receiver available? And is Wilson the right guy for, for Zach Wilson? Would you go with 
the route runners from Ohio State, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, or the big dudes like, you know, Traylon Burks or, or Drake London for Zach Wilson and, and his skill set. Yeah, I mean, I think at this point you circle back and you go offense, and I, I think they're having the same kind of conversation that Cincinnati was having last year with Jamar Chase versus Panay Sewell, albeit a bit lower in the draft. Like, what gives Zach Wilson a better boost this year drafting some protection or drafting somebody for him to throw to. And for the Jets in particular, I think it's a no-brainer and you take the receiver because their offensive line actually wasn't bad this year. It was, it was a decent unit. It was getting better as the year wore on. And they didn't have Mekhi Becton for almost the entire season. So I think the Jets are actually in a pretty good spot in terms of protection, certainly to the point where you don't need to try and force a first-round tackle who may not even be an upgrade for you in year one. Um, get that guy somebody to throw to. And the pieces are there for a, a good receiving core already, right? You've got Elijah Moore, who flashed a lot of talent in year one before injury shut him down. Uh, Braxton Berrios, maybe they bring him back in free agency. He was a useful player for them. The Hall of Famer, Corey Davis. A little bit of a letdown in year one. But maybe all Corey needs is to go back to being that number two receiver. He's again. a two. He's right. a two. Don't ask him to be a one. Yeah. <laughs> so you bring in a first-round receiver. And, yeah, I think – I mean, if it was me, I always tend to lean towards the guys that are elite route runners and get separation and do all that kind of stuff first. And I think Garrett Wilson is probably the best blend of all of the skill sets that you want in this draft. Um, and I, I think he's, he'd be one of the safer picks because of that at, at receiver. All right, so those are the two Jets picks. They pick at four. The New York Giants are at five. I always love when the Jets and Giants pick back-to-back. You know, it's just makes makes for good uh, New York-style coverage, you know, especially if one team really wants the player that was picked right ahead of them. But the Giants get Kayvon Thibodeau, and I can just see if this is the way it goes. The Jets take Derek Stingley Jr., of course. The Giants take Kayvon Thibodeau, the uh, – the storylines for years, if Thibodeau becomes a star, if he becomes the next Lawrence Taylor in the, in for the giants that the jets are lamenting that, you know, the passing on him and all that stuff, but the giants are at five and seven. So you've got them taking cave on Thibodeau edge from Oregon. And then Tyler Lindenbaum, Linderbaum, the center from Iowa, who looks like maybe the best center prospect we've seen in years, uh, a trench heavy draft for the giants. Uh, new coach Brian Dayball, is this is this the right way to go for the Giants? Certainly have to address that offensive line. I mean, so. I think the Giants would be absolutely ecstatic if the draft fell this way for them. Um, Thibodeau is a guy that, remember, recently was was seen as the number one overall pick in a year without an obvious quarterback. He was the guy that was going to go number one, and he may still well go number one. Like this is just how things seem to be flowing at the moment. Um, if a guy that was supposed to be a number one pick ended up slipping to them at five at a position that they could definitely use reinforcements, I think they would be over the moon at that. And this is another one of those positions, you know, that the guys are like, never happen. He's never going to fall to five. He'll get taken. But, you know, every year there are players that slip further than you think they would. So there's a chance, right, that Thibodeau ends up being there at five. They would run that in. And then Linderbaum is the interesting guy because – a lot like the Quentin Nelson discussion. He's a center, and centers don't go high in the draft, right? You just don't. Even the like, even those top center prospects. You go back over the years, um, you know, Nick Mangold and the Pound, like Marquise Pouncey, and these guys that are seen as elite center prospects. They still don't go in the top ten. They don't go as high as that. But 
like if he has that special talent, if he has the ability to be the center equivalent of Quentin Nelson, I don't think seven is is unreasonable for a team that's in desperate need of an upgrade there. Yeah, they need uh, all offensive linemen. Uh, as far as you know, who's coming back? Three fifths of their offensive line technically coming back, including center Nick Gates, who you know has emerged a little bit, not emerged enough that a, a Linderbaum's going to keep you from. You know, he's going to keep you from from drafting a Linderbaum. It's an interesting one at seven uh, because at six, Charles Cross, the next tackles off the board of Mississippi State. I mentioned Icky and, uh, and Ikwonu from uh, NC State. Tackles could be available there for the Giants. That's probably the more likely option with Andrew Thomas at left tackle, Nate Solder, a free agent at right tackle. It's probably more likely that you're going to draft a right tackle. I am fascinated by the... Uh, center selection though because to your point if you know the guy is going to be elite and and you have you're just going to have more confidence at center or guard when you see a Linderbaum or you see a, a Quentin Nelson you just have more confidence in that and projecting it forward so you can kind of it is safer right I mean we yeah. joke about hey teams feel safe or whatever with certain picks it is safer um, when you do have a blue chip type of center or guard that you know what you're going to get from them, but then you just have to weigh that against uh, general positional value there. It's safer. So, it's safer, and you have to. And when you're talking about these guys that you think are, I mean, that term generational or just special, like rare for the position, it it does change the value element of it. So obviously, generally speaking, tackle is much more valuable than center, but you're not talking about you know, a, a, an average first-round tackle with the average first-round tackle's range of outcomes versus an average first-round center and his average range of outcomes, then you would always pick the tackle. But what you're talking about is a potential second or third tackle taken in this draft, you know, a decent first-round first round type of projection versus the best center that we have seen come out of college football for you know, the better part of a decade and maybe way beyond that, right? And that, so you're not, it's not an average first round center's range of outcomes. It's something significantly higher than that, which closes the gap dramatically and maybe completely erases it between the position value of center and tackle. I also think one of the themes is when you get a new regime in there, Giants complete overhaul here, they like to start in the trenches, right? Like you, sure. most, most regimes like to start offensive line, defensive line. So this combo, if it comes true here, came on Thibodeau, Tyler Linderbaum, I think makes sense for the Giants. How about the Panthers at six go and tackle Charles Cross from Mississippi State? I mean, the Panthers, uh, they passed on guys like Rashawn Slater last year. Um, not that J.C. Horn's a bad player or anything like that at corner, but the Panthers' offensive line, as predicted, was just a disaster this past season. So feels yeah. like feels like they'll address it early in the draft here. And this is one where like, they might not even have this pick if they feel they need to make a crazy move at quarterback. Um, like this, is, this becomes a really interesting pick where so much hinges on what happens between now and the, fa and the time they're drafting, right? Do they go aggressively after an Aaron Rodgers type with a, with, with a trade deal? Do they try and sign a quarterback in free agency and just you know, accept that you're going to have a a relatively average starter like a Marcus Mariota rather than have to suffer through a season with Sam Darnold again. Um, or if they've left it completely, 
do they spend number six and they become the first team to draft a quarterback because they just have that kind of desperate need still there by the time the draft rolls around. So this is one I think that a lot hinges on what they do before that. But whether or not they have the quarterback in place, this offensive line was an absolute disaster zone. They had they have one of the best right tackles in the NFL and still had one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL. That's how bad the other four players on this unit were. Yeah, only one other offensive lineman graded over 60. Uh, Trent Scott, under 40. Cam Irving and Pat Elfline, two of their uh, top early free agent signings, both graded under 60 last year. So definitely see uh, offensive line. You're right, though. In this pick, the Panthers last year were very aggressive in the quarterback market. Uh, I assume they're going to be again. It's Matt Rule's third year. The NFC South is now wide open. Tom Brady's gone. Sean Payton's gone. I mean, if if the Panthers have a great offseason, and that could involve, you know, adding a Russell Wilson or Deshaun Watson, whatever, they could add a, a legitimate starting quarterback to the mix. I mean, literally any of those four teams in the NFC South could emerge as the favorite in the division. So I think the Panthers are going to be, I already thought they'd be aggressive, but uh, yeah, this pick might not even be there at six overall. Right. Uh, we talked Giants at seven. The Falcons are next up, speaking of the NFC South. George Karlaftis, the uh, edge defender from Purdue, just a powerful player, killer built bull rush. And uh, you could read that directly for yourself in the PFF draft guide. The pros, devastating bull rush, so much power through his lower half. This is all written by Mike Renner. I think Austin Gale's helping him out a little bit. But yeah, the draft guide is live. 316 pages of awesome over at pff.com. It's all part of your edge or elite package. We give you 25% off using the promo code NFL pod. So go check it out. Uh, any subscription, 25% off using promo code NFL pod. And if they turned that one off, super 25 is live, at least through the super bowl, still 25% off. So two port promo codes to play around with, but try ours first NFL pod to go check out the draft guide. But yeah, uh, Falcons drafting an edge rusher for like the 12th straight year here in the first round. <laughs> yeah, because they still need one. Like they, they've had that run where they just – and honestly, this is, again, another team where like they need defense across the board. Pretty much pick a position. You could throw a guy in there and it wouldn't be a bad um, spot for them to address. They just – they need to find somebody on that defensive line that makes an impact to stop it being just Grady Jarrett and nobody else. And I, I do wonder to what extent – the, the inability to do that is actually having a detrimental effect on Grady Jarrett, who hasn't been as good in recent years as he has been in the past. I think a big part of that is because he's drawing extra attention because he's the only guy you need to worry about. So they desperately need to change that balance up front where at least somebody else can make an impact and free up Grady Jarrett to be more of a game-wrecking presence like he was. The, the one interesting thing about the Falcons is uh, the position that they haven't had to think about a ton uh, in recent years as wide receiver because they had Julio Jones, had Calvin Ridley, Russell Gage emerged as one of the top number threes in the NFL. Those guys are all gone, right? And Calvin Ridley, free agent, uh, or potentially gone there. Tajay Sharp, Russell Gage, Hayden Hurst. I mean, everybody that is not named Kyle Pitts uh, is potentially gone. And then you have the quarterback dilemma with Matt Ryan. You're pretty much stuck with him for another year. I think salary-wise, you're going to try to make the best of what you have there. But I think Atlanta's in a prime position to develop a quarterback, right? I assume they're going to be going all in as far as uh, investigating and, and scouting these, these quarterbacks. Who do you have in mind uh, to sit for a year? You have the luxury, you know, call it a luxury, 
to sit a Malik Willis for a year, to to sit any of these guys for Desmond Ritter, uh, any of them, right? Yeah. Because I don't think any of these guys are, are slam dunk prospects. So that'll be interesting if at eight, the Falcons take the quote unquote developmental quarterback who's, you know, like Trey Lance. We didn't expect Trey Lance to have like a full on red shirt season. I know he played a little bit, but it essentially was a red shirt season, but the Falcons could want to do something similar and really say, okay, 2023 is our year. That's what we're going to be playing for just because Matt Ryan's getting old here. Yeah. And I think this is when quarterbacks start to become a factor in this draft. Like, Depending on how down you are on this draft class overall, you know, people on the radio have been asking me, like, when are these quarterbacks going to go at the end of the first round? Are they going to, how, how late are teams going to leave this? Or are they going to end up getting pushed up the draft anyway because that's what happens every year to quarterbacks? I think they will end up getting pushed higher in the draft than they potentially should be, quote unquote, relative to their, uh, just how they, their scouting reports are. But this is the kind of range where I expect them to start becoming a factor where like they're, they're going to end up going somewhere at the bottom of the, the top 10 because the teams that need them and are in that group, you can't, you can't wait, right? You can't just, it doesn't matter that they might not be the best prospect in the world or that you could have, should have done it a year ago. Now is when you need the quarterback and these are the quarterbacks available. So you have to take that gamble and hope that he is a better prospect than he looked to you. Like this is... It's like the year where, you know, Jake Locker and Christian Ponder and those guys were getting pushed up the draft. It just happens. It's inevitable. You have to you have to take a chance. So they're coming up next. We've been waiting for the quarterbacks. The other thing we've been waiting for since September, it's the big game. Draft DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56, is giving new customers 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in New York meaning you could bet from almost a third of the country. If Sportsbook isn't yet available in your state, just play DraftKings Daily Fantasy Football Contest for Super Bowl 56. New customers can get a free shot at one a $1 million top prize with their first deposit. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF and get 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. It's promo code PFF at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56. Got to be 21 or older. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gaming resources. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Tennessee. Call Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789 in Connecticut. Call 888-789-7777. Or in New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY. So the next quarterback, or the first quarterback, right? First quarterback? Yep. Yeah. All the way to number nine. Mm-hmm. It's Desmond Ritter. This is the complete opposite of last year. We thought that, remember, there was a point last year we thought quarterbacks could go five out of the top six. Yeah. And uh, maybe they should have, with Mac Jones being the fifth guy off the board at 15. In this one, you've got Desmond Ritter, the quarterback from hometown Cincinnati. Good size, whippy arm, but going number nine to the Denver Broncos here. First QB off the board in Sam's. Mock draft all over at pff.com. Yeah, and this is another one. So, you know, you get the feedback from the draft, and you, there's certain picks that are obviously uh, lightning rods, certain picks that obviously people <laughs> hate. The The Jets one was the first one. A lot of people were whinging about the Jets pick. Uh, this is another one. A lot of people don't like Desmond Ritter to Denver at number nine. Now, look, there's two parts of this, right? There's one, is there any quarterback worth num- worth going at number nine to Denver? That's one question 
just in itself. And then the second question is, if you're taking a quarterback, which is your guy that you go that, that is your first quarterback off the board? And like it's so chaotic this year that 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 quarterback ranking is going to be different for like everybody, right? Some people are going to have Desmond Ritter as the, the number one QB available. Some people are going to have Sam Howell. Some people are going to have Malik Willis, Kenny Pickett. Like, it, it's going to be just pick your favorite. Like, pick the guy that you think fits. And, again, this is not I'm, – I'm not convinced yet that Desmond Ritter is QB1, that he would be the first guy. But I could definitely see Denver liking somebody like Desmond Ritter and being the team that selects him as the first quarterback available. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be like, what you, what are you going to, going to value here? So the same way last year we were saying, does Josh Allen and Justin Herbert's development hurt Mac Jones? Because teams might be looking for the complete opposite style right. of player, and maybe it did. Does Mac Jones looking like the best rookie last year help a guy like Kenny Pickett, right? Kenny Pickett's going to be the guy that probably comes out of this whole process where people think, oh, he's the best at probably running an offense. He's a veteran. He's played a ton of football. And, and that might be a good Nathaniel Hackett type of uh you know type of pick for the Broncos where it's just like hey go run my go run this West Coast offense and and, and do it. But Desmond Ritter, the size and athleticism and, and whippiness to his arm. We keep mentioning Malik Willis and what he has from a potential standpoint. There are different style players. Sam Howell, you can't figure out what Sam Howell is. He does do a lot of good stuff from the pocket, but he also runs like a fullback sometimes. It just doesn't make sense. And that's probably not going to translate at the NFL level, but who knows? Uh, so there's just so many pluses and negatives to all of these quarterbacks. It's really going to be, you're, you're absolutely right. It's going to be all over the place. So Ritter going at nine, we already talked about 10 being Garrett Wilson. We're back to Cincinnati again. This is the reason why they made it to the college football playoffs. Yeah. Sauce Gardner, big old corner to play for the football team here. Pair him with William Jackson. Uh, it's not the football team anymore. Sorry. It's the commanders. The I'm just commanders. reading. Can we update this please? No, I refuse. I refuse to change the mock draft to the to the substandard branding that is the Commanders. The Washington football team is better. Uh, Yeah, like Washington secondary was an absolute disaster this year. It was horrendous, and it it was worse than the personnel involved. But the personnel involved can definitely be upgraded upon. So I think they could absolutely go and grab a guy like like Gardner, whose numbers in college are crazy. Like, if you look at his coverage stats, they are mind-blowing. He allowed, for his entire college career, A, didn't give up a touchdown at all the entire career, and B, allowed a passer rating of 32.6, which is lower than just junking the ball every play, right? So if, if instead of challenging... Sauce Gardner's coverage, a team had simply thrown the ball at the ground every single play, they would have a better passer rating than they did by actually testing his coverage throughout his college career. That is pretty mind-blowing. Yeah, that's a, it's an interesting fit for the football team here, too, because they're very much in this quarterback market, right? So uh, for every team, uh, football team here, maybe the Vikings at 12 coming up here, all of these teams that have you know quarterbacks available – uh, where where were you? What was your thought process? You said you're a little half what I would do, half what I think is going to happen. Yeah. Are, are there any other quarterbacks that you're considering here, or is it just I'm assuming the football team's going to go get somebody? I'm assuming the the Vikings aren't going to take somebody in the first round because you still have another year of Kirk Cousins. Because the Vikings end up going to Kobe Dean, the linebacker from Georgia, at 12 here in this mock. Yeah, there's a lot of teams in this range that could easily grab a quarterback. I just think that there's a lot. 
that are not going to like this group of QBs to the point where they're going to try and make something else happen, whether it's a veteran, whether it's uh, live with a Kirk Cousins for another year, whatever it is. I, I think there are teams that are going to talk themselves out of that kind of desperate move for the quarterback, and the ones that are grabbing them are a team like Denver, who if they don't have a QB at that point are just – they're desperate. Like they are – the highest end of desperation and they will take whatever quarterback is available because they don't have an alternative. So, you know, I could see Washington figuring out something else, but if they haven't, then they would absolutely be in the market for a QB. I see people in the chat saying Jordan Davis is going to the Broncos. You didn't put Jordan Davis in the first round, right? Uh, Big no, defensive tackle so. from Georgia. No. I, 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 my, my prediction early on here in this process, Jordan Davis, who is a monster, 6'6", 340. I don't think he's going in the first round. Agreed. He is. Uh, he has not never played at the same level as the other big nose tackles that have gone in the first round. Your Vita Veyas, your Dexter Lawrences, those other 340-plus pounders. Um, he also hasn't played more than 400 snaps in a season. Uh, I think Jordan Davis is going day two. And that first round hype is going to dissipate um, as we get even, into the process. He here. won't even be the first uh, like Georgia defensive lineman drafted. Right. He might not even be third. So uh, I love Jordan Davis. Big dude does some awesome stuff. He, I don't think he's the same type of prospect as those other nose tackles. Dexter Lawrence had a better pass rush grade than Ed Oliver coming out. Right. I mean, these other high end nose tackle types, uh, they, they could stay on the field for three downs and just not seeing that from Jordan Davis so far. All right. So Gardner 11, Nicobe Dean speaking of Georgia, the linebacker to the Vikings to pair with Eric Kendricks. I like that defensively. Yeah. Um, I I mean, obviously the Vikings have reached this point now where they complete overhaul um, and they, they need, uh, they need players. Uh, They need to restock the erosion that's happened on that defense for the last few years. Um, Another team that they could go in a variety of different places, but Nicobe Dean has got some pretty special tape. Eric Kendricks is the the kind of coverage specialist linebacker that gives N- Dean actually quite a lot of freedom to just sort of linebackers are really tough adjustment to today's NFL. Like you look at these guys that were dominant college players, they play in the NFL and they just get wrecked year one. A lot of that is because you get put in these positions where you're asked to do an awful lot of stuff, and it's just so – it's overload for them. And um, Jamin Davis from Washington I think is a really good example of that this year. You can almost see, like, the cog spinning as it's just trying to – just the processing that it's taking him to figure out what's happening and where he needs to be. And when he actually sees it and goes, it still looks like it did in college. But that processing time is killing him right now. The fact that Eric Hendricks is there – I think could potentially smooth the transition for somebody like Nicobe Dean, just free him up to be a playmaker. All right, next few picks. We get the Cleveland Browns taking Jamison Williams, wide receiver out of Alabama. The Baltimore Ravens taking Icky Iquanu, the uh, tackle out of NC State. And then the Eagles taking Devin Lloyd with their first first-round pick. Eagles taking Devin Lloyd, the linebacker out of Utah. I really like the Jamison Williams pick, explosive receiver. I know he just tore his ACL in the national championship and all that, but man, Jamison Williams bringing an explosive threat to the Browns. Get Baker some playmakers, man. Yeah, and I, I don't really care that he just tore his ACL, right? That That's just becoming a much, much smaller thing, ACLs in particular. I don't want to, you know, you never want to call it a routine injury, but 
you don't expect an, a torn ACL to have any lingering impact on what a player will be going forward, particularly if he does it at this kind of age. Um, so, like, Williams is a deep threat. He's a, an elite playmaker that, that is, brings something that they don't really have on that Cleveland offense. I know they have Schwartz, who also has blazing speed, but he just doesn't have the complete skill set to, to be the kind of impact playmaker that Williams has. You know, if you have a Williams in that lineup with some of the other receivers that they've got there, it, it just adds a lot more balance to that team and obviously scares the defense deep on any single play, whether or not he's actually getting the target or not. I, I mean, I think a lot of people will drop him in the draft because of that torn ACL. I just, I wouldn't. And I think he's well worth 13 overall. I'll ask the same question. So, and this might be a tricky one too, right? You've got one year left of Baker Mayfield. We don't even know if he's truly the future of the Browns. Um, and we might find that out sooner rather than later. I mean, there was, there was fallout in, in the whole thing, but let's assume he's the quarterback. Is there a better fit style-wise for Baker Mayfield, right? Would you get him a trail on Burks? Because he throws the seam route really well. He throws, he generally gives his big-bodied receivers chances to make plays. He throws the seam to Jarvis Landry a lot. He throws to his tight ends. Do you want a speedster that's going to create a ton, you know, create open throws like it's the big 12? Do you want a trail on Burks, Drake London type that's the bigger bodied receiver that, you know, you can create some chemistry with Baker Mayfield, or do you just just get the best player and uh, figure it out later as far how much does the quarterback matter in this equation when you're trying to pick one of these receivers? Because it's a it's really a it's a flavor type of thing. Every receiver has these different skill sets that they bring to the table. Yeah, and at, at this point I don't know that you wanna I don't I don't know that Baker Mayfield should really be factoring into the decisions you're making everywhere else on this roster because you've no idea if Baker Mayfield is lasting there beyond the next few months, right? So right. I anyway, I'm not sure that there is a stylistic advantage that any one of these guys has connected with Baker as opposed to any other quarterback. And B, I'm not sure you want to be doing that anyway. But the the overall point is I think Williams, because of that speed, because of that ability to scare defenses deep and open up space underneath, whether or not he's getting the target or not, I think he's the he's the best. Uh, he makes the biggest impact on this offense, regardless of who the quarterback is. And I don't think that there's any connection with Baker Mayfield that would kind of overhaul that. Looking forward to this Browns offseason. I feel like so much is going to be predicated upon the defensive line and receiver, right? I mean, that those are the the two big places where I think they've, they have some holes and they're going to be attacking that with depth as far as free agency trades in the draft go. Ekwonu uh, from NC State, boy, this dude can hurt some people in the run game. I love the fit yeah. for the Baltimore Ravens. He's athletic. Uh, he's the guy that Dane Brugler did have go number one in his mock draft. That means, hey, he could go. Uh, Brugler's really generally tied in pretty well when it comes to, uh, you know, being ahead of the game as far as where players might be slotted. So maybe he is a, a top 10 caliber pick, but this would be a nice one, I think, for the Ravens to put him on the other side from uh, Ronnie, Ronnie Stanley at left tackle. Yeah, I absolutely love this fit. This is one of my favorite kind of player to team fits in this mock. Uh, if like that. That Baltimore Ravens offense is still and is probably always going to be built on that powerful ground game, just dominating people in the run game. As long as Lamar Jackson is there, that's what it's going to be focused on. And, you know, if you can add that kind of road grading dominance to that offensive line 
and a guy who's you know certainly not bad as a pass protector either. I think that just makes that makes a bigger boost to the Baltimore Ravens offense than it does to any other offense in the NFL, just from a stylistic point of view. So the Eagles at 15 and 16, sorry, is Devin Lloyd, linebacker from Utah, David Ajabo, the the other edge at Michigan. Pretty awesome that Michigan has these uh, Aiden Hutchinson and Ajabo both going extremely high in the draft, most likely. Uh, Eagles may be replenishing on the defensive line, adding some speed at linebacker where they do play a ton of zone and you put a lot of pressure on that particular position. I like these fits, I think, for the Eagles who have the three total first-round picks here this year. Yeah, the Devin Lloyd one would be interesting. Like The Eagles linebackers for years have been pretty rough, and TJ Edwards actually looks to have sort of nailed down one spot. But even TJ Edwards, it's all kind of instincts and and play reading and recognition and smarts. His his athleticism is still pretty rough, you know? He's a, a marginal athlete and a marginal sort of physical specimen in terms of being not particularly large, not particularly long. Um, but he is a good player and, and has been since we've been grading, like all the way through college, special teams, preseason, all those kinds of things. So I think Edwards is is in a position on merit, but they could still really use like an athlete at the position, you know, a guy who's bringing not just play, but like actual range and like special physicality and speed to that spot. And that like Devin Lloyd, I think, can kind of do it all. And I think it makes it would it probably helps T.J. Edwards to pair him with a guy like that. And then with Ajabu, you've got uh, Brandon Graham did not play a whole lot this past season. Uh, you, you've uh, Josh Sweat. I mean, that's it's Derek Barnett's a free agent. You've you, you have to replenish up front. Ryan Kerrigan's getting old and a free agent, so the Eagles getting another edge rusher makes a ton of sense. And then they also they have 15, 16, and nineteen yeah. in nineteens where Big Drake London comes off the board, six five receiver from USC. I love this as a pairing with Devontae Smith. And I know this yeah. would make the, what the third straight year that the Eagles would have drafted a first round wide receiver. Mm-hmm. Of course, having three first rounders makes that a little bit different. It's not exactly like the, uh, the Matt Millen lions, but uh, look, if you, if you hit on London and you hit on two out of your three first round wide receivers, not the worst thing in the world. And I love that, you know, pairing with him and Devontae complete opposite body types for Jalen hurts. Yeah, and I think he brings he brings the kind of missing element to the skill set that that Devontae Smith hasn't yet shown that he has in the NFL. You know, if there, his Devontae Smith's route running, his ability to separate, all that kind of stuff translates immediately. He's also shown that he's got like you know the toe drag toe drag swag kind of stuff, the sideline catchability. Um, he's got great hands. The one thing that isn't there yet and might not ever be there is. Like, can he go up and moss people at the catch point? Can he deal with the kind of high-end physicality? Or is he always going to be a little bit bullied because he's like 160 pounds, right? And that's the one thing that he, that he isn't bringing to the table. Nobody else in that offense really is either. So you bring in Drake London, and that's like the one guarantee in his game right now, right? Is the size, the ability to win contested catches, really good at the catch point, always sort of high points the ball, always reaches out towards the ball, like makes the adjustment, gets it as close to the quarterback as he can get it and makes it really difficult for defenders to make a play on it. The other thing is is more of a, like the, the rest of his game is more where the debate lies. Not that he, you know, not that he doesn't do anything else well. It's not a a Nikhil Harry situation where you're like, this guy only wins in contested catches. London wins with a bunch of other stuff, but the question is more like, 
you know, is that just in the Pac-12 or does everything he's doing still function at the NFL level? Either way, though, I think that that combination with Devontae Smith kind of completes the Eagles receiving group. Yeah, I like that a lot. We'll, we'll talk plenty about the Eagles and what they have the ability to do with their three picks, including trade, right? Uh, having, uh, you know, the way, the way teams stack boards, right? A lot of times it's tiered and having players that if you're drafting at 15, 16 and 19, it's probably not going to be the case that you have three players that you love all in that same range that aren't just off the board already. And so I think there's going to be a lot of movement for the Eagles and not necessarily them making all three of those picks, which is fine, which is, I I think, another viable strategy with those three picks. But if they do walk away with the two defensive players and another receiver, uh, it's, it's, you know, you're probably pretty happy if you're an Eagles fan, but a game changing draft for the Eagles. The other thing that's interesting about this point in the draft, you've got the Chargers taking Trent McDuffie, the corner out of Washington at 17. So coming out of a zone heavy uh, scheme in Washington, going to a zone heavy scheme with the Chargers. I think that uh, that pairing makes a lot of sense. But then the New Orleans Saints get the next quarterback, Sam Howell out of UNC. So the Saints at 18 need a QB. The Steelers at 20 need a QB. They're going to take Matt Corral out of Ole Miss in this particular mock draft. Is this a year where teams like the Saints, the Steelers, uh, who clearly need quarterbacks now because of uh, Big Ben retiring, because of, well, the Saints just need one. Can they sit and wait and get their guy, or are we going to find those teams talking about trading up into the top 10, top 15 to make sure that they get the guy that they really love? Yeah, it, it's possible, but equally, it's equally possible. I think this is the kind of range where those quarterbacks might last anyway, and they just don't feel the need to do it. Um, that, that, I think, is going to be one of the most interesting parts of this whole draft, though, is that, that quarterback dynamic. Like, we expect them to get pushed up and the top QBs to start going maybe at the bottom of the top 10, but do the teams lower in the draft, do they have the, the patience to wait on those guys that are slipping towards them or are they the ones that are going to have to jump up half a dozen spots to start grabbing them, you know, just outside the top 10 or, or that kind of range? I, I don't know. I, I think it's in either one of those makes makes some sense to me. Like, you know, when Justin Fields started to slide, teams like Minnesota were interested in trading up for him. They didn't end up making it happen. But I think that's the dynamic every year when a quarterback starts to fall down that first round. The difference being that I think – Every one of these quarterbacks is a lower-ranked type of prospect than Justin Fields was. So I don't know how much this matters, but looking historically, last year was actually a rare year where Mac Jones at quarterback was drafted 15th. What you generally have in recent years is there's QBs who go in the top 10, and then there's rarely a quarterback who goes in the teens, and then sometimes you get a guy in like the 20s or – Uh, Lamar Jackson goes to 32 because the Ravens came back into the first round. So Mac Jones goes at 15. He ends up being the best rookie, but uh, Dwayne Haskins also went at 15, right? What happens when guys go in the middle of the first round, it's like uh, the NFL didn't love them enough to go get them. Yeah. And then it almost feels like they're settling, right? Uh, It's almost historically it almost feels like it's better to have get that late first rounder or the early second rounder, the Andy Dalton, the Derek Carr. And I'm just saying based off what the NFL called that, the consensus has how they viewed these quarterbacks. 
when you're in that middle of the first round area, it means teams don't love you enough, but they also feel desperate enough. And, and again, it's not to say that guys can't pan out when that happens. I just wonder how many quarterbacks are going to be in that boat this year, where if they don't go in the teens, then it's late first, early second, or if a team just says, uh, or if a team like the saints can just, you know, say, Hey, we like one or two guys. If they're there at 18 or the Steelers at 20, if they're there at 20, we'll just take our guy when, when he's there. Yeah. But, and remember when Washington drafted Haskins, it was like a lot of talk that once the top of the draft had panned out, were they going to go up? Were they going to, you know, make a trade up to grab him? And they had the patience to sit there and wait, snagged him at 15. And at the time you were like, that's, that's fantastic work for Washington. Like that's great discipline. They ended up like jackpot draft for them. And, you know, obviously Haskins ended up being a complete disaster and and not working out. But I think the process was sound. You could end up seeing that again this year where those teams, they just have enough discipline to wait it out and say, look, these guys are not, you know, elite prospects. Let's just have the patience and hope they're still here when we do pick. So Sam Howell going to the Saints, we don't really know what that scheme looks like. We don't have a coach, right? So we don't – it's tough to – add any analysis to that Matt Corral going at 20 to the Pittsburgh Steelers. I am interested to see what the Steelers look are are looking for in their next quarterback. How much do you, this was like what I was saying about Belichick and Brady, you know, after sitting with Tom Brady for years, are you, are you trying to replicate Tom Brady or pieces of it? Are you going to go the complete opposite? People had theorized that Belichick was going to go and just grab like a scrambling quarterback, right? A run first QB to break the league in a different way. Are the Steelers going to look at Big Ben's size and toughness and Pittsburghery type of attitude? And uh, do they do they have to find that, or are they going to get Matt Corral, who's like a undersized, gritty quarterback that's just you know finds a way to win, has a really good arm, and uh, could be the best of the bunch here? But does he fit what the Steelers want? I think that's going to be uh, an interesting one to, to watch throughout the draft process. And it's an interesting offense that he's coming from as well, right? There's a ton of RPOs, a ton of like just immediate easy scheme stuff where it's like, you know, fake the fake the run, look up, hit the guy. Like it's it, there's a lot of stuff in there that, that's very rudimentary, which is not unique to him, but is one of those hurdles that NFL teams have to navigate, right? It's okay, we've seen him do this. He ran that well. We're going to need him to do these other five things. How good is he at that stuff? And that's where the, you know, the interviews at the combine, getting those guys on the whiteboard, understanding what they know now and what they can potentially learn going forward is going to be huge. And that's a really difficult thing to evaluate from the outside, particularly in January, February. So Steelers take Corrals. What's that? Three QBs off the board now for this? Patriots go cornerback Andrew Booth from Clemson at 21. Raiders at 22, Chris Olave, the wide receiver out of Ohio State, and the Arizona Cardinals guard Kenyon Green out of Texas A&M, and then the Cowboys, Roger McCreary, the uh, short-armed corner. This is before you knew we had those uh, sub-32-inch arms there, right, Sam? Who cares? I'm not a, Roger not a short-armed uh, from Auburn. I'm not a short-armed hater. Did you? Did you, we skip over the Chargers pick? Yeah, I touched on it quickly. I didn't go in depth on every All single right. pick well, unless as long we wanted to. It. I just thought you'd skipped over completely. Um, no, Trent McDuffie, uh, zone corner out of Washington, going to a zone-heavy scheme. I think uh, I mentioned Jordan Davis earlier. I, I think there's a world where the Chargers would love Jordan Davis in round two, potentially, right? Get that sure. Get that early down run stopper, uh, not in the first round, but do it in the second round. I think defensive line has to be addressed 
for the Chargers, but adding a corner opposite Asante Samuel with similar skill sets, I think uh, makes a lot of sense. Yep. Um, who's who? What what pick do you want to touch on out of that group that you just read out? Then I just you know anything from twenty one to twenty four there. So again, Patriots get corner Andrew Booth. Raiders, Chris Olave, the wide receiver. Kenyon Green, the guard out of Texas A&M, goes to the Cardinals. And then the Cowboys with Roger McCreary out of Auburn, who was extremely productive last year. But as I was half-joking, uh, had one of the shorter arm lengths, very short arm length. And I think that's going to scare some teams away because they uh, they care about their size-speed measurables. Yeah, it definitely will. But what's what's really interesting is just watching his tape, particularly – in the conference that he was in, which is just a murderer's row of wide receivers. Like, he's gone up against uh, Jamar Chase and done a reasonable job. Like, Chase got him a couple of times, but Chase got everybody. Like, Chase, Chase, I think, is single-handedly responsible for dropping Trayvon Diggs' draft stock around, right? Trayvon Diggs was a first-round player who got ripped, eviscerated so badly by Jamar Chase in a big game that he ended up going in the second round. And now we're seeing that, okay, he might not be... 11 interceptions good, but he's a, he's a starting capable NFL corner. Similarly, A.J. Terrell was like an all-pro this past season. A.J. Terrell got wrecked by Jamar Chase in, was it the national title game? And when you actually yep. look at the tape then, he was in close coverage for most of those plays. He just lost to a dude that's wrecking everybody in the NFL right now at the catch point. So in a weird way, that actually wasn't a bad performance from Terrell, but he gave up so much that people are like, oh, I don't know if this guy can hang at this level. And so McCreary was another guy that did a reasonable job against Jamar Chase, but got beat a few times. Um, so I think ultimately, if you're able to give anything to Jamar Chase, given what we now know about him, I think that's a good thing for you. And McCreary has gone up against a lot of really good, um, a lot of really good receivers in his college career and done a pretty good job. Traylon Burks, the monster out of Arkansas that we're going to be talking about in a minute here, too. I mean, he hung with him. Uh, Cowboys going corner to to pair him up to Trayvon Diggs would be would be interesting. That's what the Cowboys, you know, they wanted. They wanted a corner last year. I uh, got stuck with Micah Parsons. You know, what a what a blessing in disguise. Yeah, but uh, definitely going corner again. I, I could see that for the Cowboys. I think the Alave pick to the Raiders. Definitely an interesting one. We'll see if they do stick with Derek Carr and he's their guy. But uh, as nice as it was to have Henry Ruggs as a speedster before, uh, you know, his tra- the the tragedy there, having the pure route runner like an Alave to just get open and, and have – they just need more complementary pieces because it's such a Darren Waller-driven offense. When, you, when they lost him, you could see the difference. Hunter Renfro was fantastic, but just getting more weapons up there in Vegas, I think would be huge. Yeah, and Alavi is just so smooth with everything he does, and I think he'll run fast as well, so he he can potentially bring back that element to the offense that's been missing since they got rid of Henry Ruggs. You know, Deshaun Jackson was supposed to do that. It just never really worked for some reason. The only team the only team in the NFL in his career that's managed to like neutralize the threat that Deshaun Jackson brings and not have him be this like cheat code deep threat. Um, so I think, yeah, Alave teamed up with Derek Carr, assuming he's going to be the long-term plan with the Raiders. That gives him that weapon back. Darren Waller can still be the thing that this offense functions through. Hunter Renfro, the complimentary piece. But I think that would be a really big addition to that offense, who could also absolutely go offensive line, given how bad that group is. 
and the booth fit a corner uh, again from the PFF draft guide strength throughout his frame, long arms for his height. He's patient, doesn't bite on double moves. Uh, could be a good solid player, especially if the Patriots re-sign JC Jackson, which by the way, we discussed today on the PFF NFL daily. We tried to talk about teams that had to not let guys hit free agency, keep them in the building. JC Jackson, the guy that we were picking for the new England Patriots, keeping that cornerback room, uh, or just making sure that it stays strong because you know, the Patriots have had one of the better cornerback rooms for a while, taken a bit of a step back, at least on paper over the last couple of years, though they did play well for the majority of the season. But I think adding that level of depth uh, would be huge for the Patriots from a, from a team building standpoint here. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's a position that they need whether or not they retain J.C. Jackson. Buffalo Bills at 25, Gokayer Elam, the corner out of Florida, another Corner that we've talked about. I've been mocking corners to the Bills for a while now. I know their pass coverage has been fine, uh, despite me doing that. Better than fine. But that's because they just never really had that, you know, that really dependable player opposite Tredavious White. Yeah, Levi Wallace has been, he's been pretty good. But getting another really good player there just maybe takes that defense to the next level. Yeah, and Levi Wallace is a player, I mean, we've joked about this the whole way, that he's a guy they're always going to be looking to upgrade upon. He's a free agent now, so they, they have to even make that determination of whether they want to pay him more money to stick around and then potentially try and upgrade upon him. Um, but yeah, like they, they've been kind of overachieving, I think, relative to the talent that they have in that defense. And that, that's good coaching. It's a good scheme. It's a good system that's going to help them do that on a consistent basis. But... That doesn't mean that you stop putting resources into the defense because you know it will overachieve. I think you have to start thinking of it, well, if we're capable of having this level of defense with this talent group, what happens when we start adding, you know, real elite players across the board and like up the talent level? Does the same thing happen? Because if it does, we end up with a dominant, you know, phenomenal defense that doesn't get wrecked by the Chiefs late in the game and just give up points. You know, that that's again that Buffalo's if they were obsessed with beating Kansas City last year, I mean, nothing, nothing that's happened in the last 12 months has changed that North Star, True. right? They're, Continue to try to beat Kansas yeah, City. They are ever more uh, obsessed with beating Kansas City, and that, I think, starts with uh, secondary help. Were you thinking of me with this next pick, Tennessee Titans at 26? A little bit. I mean, it does fit the, the style, right? Wide receiver Traylon Burks from Arkansas going to the Tennessee Titans. This is the guy, 6'3", 230-plus. Another dude. To, to go with Julio Jones and A.J. Brown and Derrick Henry, I mean, the Titans win again to get the first off the bus game, right? I mean, this is incredible if this is the way that they go. But I do think whether it's Burks or someone else, the next pass catcher, because clearly you, you can't rely on Julio Jones at this point in his career for health purposes and maybe for performance purposes, but getting that next guy – and if Julio is out there, great. Uh, get all these dudes out there and uh, try to stop us offensively. I mean, if it, it, I don't know if they can move on from Ryan Tannehill. If they can't, let's go with more weapons. And Burks is just a monster. Yeah, and I don't think it's even redundant because of what we just talked about, Julio Jones not being, not being the player that he was and not being reliable in terms of just being healthy. Um, so you're probably looking to life beyond Julio Jones anyway. And even if you weren't, he's probably going to miss a chunk of the season. So you're going to get a significant amount of opportunities for a guy like Traylon Burks. Like, can you just imagine that pairing though? Burks and AJ Brown with Derrick Henry back in the backfield. Like that is, 
that is a, a full stable of the dudes with, with Julio Jones still there, like if you can keep him, keep him upright. The Tennessee dudes. Uh, my analysis was, I mean, kind of off, though. They didn't need the dudes most of the year. They still got the number one seed. But uh, I, I think pass game, pass game has to be a huge focus for the Titans here. So, uh, so that they can win in different ways. This is what teams need to be building different ways to win football games on both sides of the ball. And you can look at the Titans and say, they've, they've done a great job developing their offensive line and creating holes in the running game and moving the ball on the ground, whether Derrick Henry's there or not got to be able to win games through the air and, and, and put uh, Tannehill in even better position to succeed or position to succeed when they can't just run play action and rely on the run game. So Love this pick with Traylon Burks. He could also, with his size, work the middle of the field like a tight end. Yeah. And and they don't have a great tight end situation either, so you kind of kill two birds there potentially. And he's got like a lot of experience of, you know, the gimmick, the gimmick route tree, if you like, the you know, the receiver screens, the being moved around in the backfield and getting unusual releases from sort of weird alignments. Like all the stuff that you do to scheme the ball into the hands of a playmaker, he has had a ton of that in college. And the Titans don't actually do an awful lot of that to A.J. Brown or to uh, Julio Jones. Jones obviously has done that in the past, but like there's a natural spot there for him just in those terms. Bucks are at 27, Jahan Dotson, the wide receiver out of Penn State. The Packers at 28, Bernard Raymond from uh central michigan the big old uh tackle who's a former tight end there miami dolphins getting tackled trevor penning uh another monster out of northern uh, iowa and then the chiefs at 30 edge cameron thomas out of san diego state now the bucks are interesting at 27 because obviously brady's just retired since you did this mock draft Mm -hmm. they'll be in the quarterback market however uh bruce arians right very uh, he's got he's he's got his own ways, man. He's got his own offense. Downfield passing attack. Generally, wants specific types of quarterbacks for that. How much, if you're the Bucks, are you are you are you are, are they going to draft a quarterback? I, I can't imagine they're going to sit there and draft and develop somebody. Uh, almost certainly going to go the free agent route, the trade route, and just try to maintain while Bruce Arians is still around and trying to compete. Yeah, I'd be amazed if they drafted a quarterback at the bottom of the first round. Um... The, fir- the bottom of the first round is where those guys go. They're like the project quarterback that you want to have the fifth-year option on and you don't want to let drag into the second round, but they're not guys that you expect to be starting day one and being maintaining a playoff-caliber team, which is what the Bucks are going to need them to do, right? Step in, be the, be the Tom Brady heir, and take this team to the playoffs just like Brady did. Like, that's a hell of a tall order for any quarterback, let alone a guy drafted at the bottom of the first round. So I just don't see that happening. At which point, let's assume somewhere along the line they have their quarterback sorted, whether it's a veteran or they're confident enough in Kyle Trask that he's that guy going forward. They need to start replacing the pieces that they're losing from the offensive weaponry, right? Antonio Brown's already gone, not coming back. Gronkowski's almost certainly retiring now that Brady is. Chris Godwin is a free agent. Maybe they can keep him around, but even if they, uh, even if they can, I do, we've seen that they just didn't trust the next guys on the depth chart, right? You've got Mike Evans still there. Chris Godwin is a great number two and a guy that can move around, be in the slot, all those kinds of things. 
but they didn't really trust Tyler Johnson. Scotty Miller, they went AWOL for most of the season. They kind of parked him and didn't really use him. Um, we really like Jalen Darden, who they drafted last year, barely featured. I just think this is a spot where they could use building in some contingency and potentially a replacement for one of those guys going forward. Yeah, the Bucks become one of the one of the I use the word fascinating a lot. I know, but the fascinating stories this offseason, figuring out what they're gonna do. And, and again, how much is how much are they building that team in Bruce Arian's image when we don't know how long he's gonna be around as he's getting into his seventies. Uh Bernard Raymond from I got to figure out how to pronounce his last name. My bad. My bad, guys. But Central Michigan, big old tackle who had incredible PFF grading, 94.6. And he's had some ups and downs at the Senior Bowl, but Mike Renner's loving him. Uh, he's another one of those directional Michigan former tight ends, like a J.J. Watt, right? Directional. Like a Joe Staley. So uh, there's a good history of directional Michigan former tight ends, and he could be that next one. Pack, if the Packers can draft him at tackle, you give Billy Turner the opportunity to move back inside to guard, have some David Bakhtiari insurance. I like that quite a bit. Yeah, and, you got to protect uh, Jordan Love over there. And Elton Jenkins, you know, comes back. All of a sudden, Green like Green Bay's offensive line was okay this year, despite being pretty decimated and, and on paper not looking very good. It could be very good very quickly. Like if you bring in – Bakhtiari gets back, Elton Jenkins gets back, the the moves that they already made, the guys that they had uh, getting some experience last year, and then a guy like this coming in the first round, like all of a sudden that offensive line could actually be a really good unit, which might be really timely if Aaron Rodgers isn't there anymore. And all of a sudden it is Jordan Love that you're protecting. Dolphins going offensive line, not a big surprise. Uh, just continue to throw resources there. You got to figure out what you have with Tua, uh, presumably as the as the starter. If if he's not, you know, either way, they still need to get that offensive line back on track. So Penning from Northern Iowa uh, could be a solid pick there. The Chiefs going defensive line with Cameron Thomas from San Diego State, who was incredibly productive last year. Seventy seven pressures, uh, just about hit ninety in PFF grade, but. Uh, this could be the place where the Chiefs, if they don't sign Orlando Brown, they're probably looking tackle. If they do sign Orlando Brown, I think defensive line and getting cheaper and just they need to get cheaper on the defensive line, but also just better. Yeah. And I think this uh, this makes a lot of sense. Jermaine Johnson, who's absolutely tearing it up at the senior bowl, also could be in the mix here eventually once we get further into draft season here. Yeah, for Miami, it almost feels like they just have to draft an offensive lineman with their with the in the first round, like even if they're their offensive line is so bad, they need to do one of those numbers that other teams have done in recent years, where this entire offseason is spent just throwing things at the offensive line. Right, hit it everywhere. Hit it in the draft. Hit it early. Hit it late. Hit it in free agency. Do everything you possibly can to overhaul that group because it's in desperate need of it. So I would expect them to go after free agents in in before the draft but absolutely still keep hammering it there and bringing in a, a first-round tackle, I think, would be a, a smart thing for them to do. And then, yeah, Kansas City, like, their defense really picked it up down the stretch and was a much better team in the second half of the year. But Melvin Ingram, you know, was a, was a really useful player for them, brought decent pressure, made some big plays and big games, but at the most is a stopgap. Um, 
they also, like the Frank Clark thing just hasn't worked, and the quicker they can get away from that, the better. Chris Jones was dominant, but he's a dominant interior player. He's a good player when you put him on the edge. I think presumably they've learned that lesson, and they're going to keep Chris Jones inside. So they need somebody that can come in and be a legitimate edge rusher and get them actual pressure around the edge that's going to last long term. Frank Clark isn't that guy. Melvin Ingram just isn't going to be around long enough to be that guy. I think a first-round edge rusher absolutely makes sense for them. The other thing that's going to make sense is going receiver and looking at receivers for the Chiefs. I'll be, you know, banging that drum this entire offseason. I think I think they're going to start to realize after the O-line investment and they still were shut down and couldn't get that third option open, um, even though Mecole Hardman did some nice stuff down the stretch, finding a, an actual wide receiver opposite Tyree Kill is going to be a huge priority. We'll see if they go this way. But the reason why they need to get cheaper on the defensive line is that Frank Clark and Chris Jones, both over 20 million APY. And just like you said, not getting the same type of production or the expected production out of Frank Clark to justify that. These last two picks, man. First off, what are you doing to our hometown Bengals? They should be picking 32, man. What's going on? I did not set the draft order. The draft order was set uh, using whatever that place is, we use it. That has like the official draft order. As the official now. draft order. Yeah. I mean, the Rams are favored in the Super Bowl, so you would expect them to pick at 32 yeah. based off of that alone. There you go. But the Bengals getting Daniel Falele, the monster tackle out of Minnesota. I know there's been some uh, low light reels coming out of the senior bowl because he's 380. And sometimes yeah. when you're 380, Sam, let me just tell you from almost experience here, sometimes when you're that size, smaller people cause issues. So you've got guys like Boye Mafe from uh, Minnesota who weighs like 240. But, dude, low pad level wins, man, in, in, you know, in the leverage game. And, you know, you kind of put Falele you know, on his back a couple times. So uh, it happens. He's down to 380. Yeah. But there's a lot of potential here for the Minnesota tackle who could potentially start at right tackle for the Bengals next year. And then uh, the Lions, their second first-round pick which is going to be either 31 or 32, uh, they're going to go Malik Willis here out of Liberty, get that fifth-year option, get him in the building as a developmental player, let Jared Goff be the bridge quarterback. I don't mind it as a strategy here for the Lions. Yeah, 380 pounds. <laughs> that man outweighs me by a whole other me and a 25-pound plate. Like, that's how big that dude is, right? Yeah. And it's not like – like, we get this thing where because you sit over there opposite me in these shows, like people think I'm like five foot four and 105 pounds. You're tiny, small guy. Like I'm, I'm five eleven, one eighty, right? Like I'm like a normal sized human being, but compared with you, I look small. And compared with this dude, the man mountain, like I, I'm not even. We're, we're not the same species, right? The fact that we are theoretically of the same animal kingdom is mind blowing. I will say that his his senior bowl tape has been a little concerning. Um, you know, I think you, you're going to expect a guy that size to lose sometimes, particularly the senior bowl for offensive linemen. The the rep, the one on one reps are not as bad as they look because they're they kind so, of, they're just unfair. Yeah. They're they're unfairly on an island. It's all and the it's time. the same thing is true with corners as well, right? Like those, the, the drills are kind of set up where those guys have a disadvantage. The right. The offensive line, they have a, an abnormal volume of space to be working with. The 
defensive player always has like a three-way go, right? He can go outside you, he can come inside you, or he can run right the hell through you. And there's nothing in the play call that help, that tips you off which way he can go, right? Whereas in, in a live game situation, there's a lot about the individual play that kind of dictates and removes some of that from the table. You know, they can't always go any one of those three ways. There's a lot that kind of hint, that tips you off about what you have to deal with, which adjusts obviously how you set up and all those kinds of things. So the, an offensive lineman losing a lot during the senior bowl week is not necessarily as bad as it looks. That being said, there have been some pretty rough reps that would make you concerned for a guy that's as much of an outlier physically as he is, right? Six, eight, 380 pounds, whatever he is like that. It's just, it's a very unusual size and shape human to be functioning at offensive tackle in the NFL. But I think his tape in college shows that he has the movement skills to get it done. Um, I, I'm not entirely invalidating that based off the senior bowl week. I'm just saying it's, it's, it's worrisome, right? You see those plays and you're like, like I still, I'm still confident in the tape, but oh, maybe. Um, and then Malik Willis. So the Lions at 32, to me, are basically playing with house money at this point, right? It's like it's a free draft pick. You're, you're well along in your rebuilding project in this particular mock. You know, things were fantastic for you in terms of you got Aiden Hutchinson, who most people think is maybe the best player in the draft. So you get your, your kneecap biter. You get this dominant defensive player. And now you just sort of wait. And you see what's there when we roll around number 32, you didn't have to chase a quarterback at the top of the draft because you it's not that you think Jared Goff maybe has by the way, did you know that there's like a vocal section of Detroit Lions fans that think Jared Goff was actually reasonably good this year? I did not know that. I didn't I I think he had some some nice moments in the Arizona game and some other games. NFC player of the week, sir. You put some respect on his name. How many times? I mean at least once. Okay. I assume just. I that. love Jared Goff. I'm a big Jared Goff fan. I think you saw he can't do much when he doesn't have much help. I'm just saying that, like, I was I was staggered that there, <laughs> there are people out there that are like, hey, we put this thing around Jared Goff. He can be the guy. Don't worry about it. We don't need a QB. Like, whoo. All right. Anyway, let's assume that those people are in that 25% of people that think aliens walk amongst us and, you know, will believe anything um, and not necessarily go with that opinion. The. The fact that they can roll in here at number 32 and they can just say, you know what? Malik Willis has freakish superstar upside. And what the hell? Like, it's 32. We've already drafted the dude we think will be a stud in the first round. We can roll the dice here. And if we hit, like, that is transformative for this entire roster. Like... The senior bowl week is going to be huge for Malik Willis. We're only a couple of days into that now, but so far it's all been positive. He's he's making the same incredible throws he made in college. He's he's impressing everybody that that he talks to. Like Malik, I mean, honestly, he could be well gone by this point if his performance continues sure. to be as it is, and he might be like this might be a pipe dream. But if Malik Willis was sitting here at number thirty-two, I think this would be an absolute home run of a draft for Detroit. Yeah, I, I, if if he's available, I love it um, because I do think, you know, you got to take shots at the quarterback position. I would love to take a shot on Malik Willis. Who is your comp for him? Have we discussed your comp yet? It's going to come up a few times, I'm sure. I mean, I get Cordell Stewart vibes from him. Like, 
And I think Cordell Stewart was a player that was playing out of his era, if that makes any sense. Like Cordell Stewart now would be a better and more interesting prospect than Cordell Stewart at the time where he just gets labeled slash and we have to try and make this like weird role for him that doesn't exist because like we don't we don't he can't he can't just plug him in and be like okay run this offense because that's not what he's going to do but if you're actually willing like if Cordell Stewart had somebody willing to design an offense around him the way Lamar Jackson has had somebody willing to design an offense around him we might be talking about a completely different player um but I, I get like Malik Willis has a cannon for an arm like an absolute howitzer he's got incredible athleticism and speed um he's got that i i kind of like i I, he just reminds me of cordell seward a lot i I need more 90s comps 90s early 2000s comps from you this entire draft season sam it's what i want it's what we need i'll be grinding more cordell stewart film just to see how right you were i think the mac jones mark bulger comp you made last year is fantastic i like that it still holds true but yeah malik willis makes Incredible throws, man. I mean, it is uh, the closest thing to, I think, Josh Allen as far as velocity and carry and on a, on the run, you know, ropes and stuff like that. Like Justin Herbert has carry, but not necessarily like on the move stuff the same way Josh Allen does. I think Malik Willis does. Um, again, for whatever that's worth, I think all the stuff in between is what makes you a, a great quarterback. But I think a, a baseline of, of high-end throws – and rushing ability is a pretty is a pretty good foundation in today's NFL to figure out if you can uh, build off of that. So um, I do think Willis probably ends up going higher than 32, but who the heck knows, man? I, I don't know what the NFL is going to believe here because here's what I think about all of this quarterback class. You could talk yourself into any of them, yeah. and you can do that with recency bias as well. Like For every Malik Willis, you could say, well, Lamar Jackson had a – some of the accuracy issues and Trey Lance just went third and you could talk yourself into that. If you're, if Kenny Pickett, like we, you just saw pocket passer, somewhat limited Mac Jones go, uh, you could talk yourself into uh, some of these quarterbacks, I believe. And Kenny based Pickett, off of what you've just seen. Kenny Pickett, by the way, not in this first round mock and a guy that a lot of people have as QB one, right? A lot of people think is the best quarterback in the draft. That's the kind of group we're talking about here where like, I'm getting people telling me, you know, Desmond Ritter's a fourth-round player. And then there's other people being like, Kenny Pickett's QB1, he's not in the first round. This, this entire quarterback class is going to be beauty in the eye of the beholder. And the reason I think that there's a good chance that Malik Willis ends up going a lot higher is that it only takes one team, right? And the idea that there isn't one of 32 teams that can talk themselves into Malik Willis being a superstar based off the development we've seen from Josh Allen and from Patrick Mahomes and from some of these other toolsy quarterbacks, I just think somebody's going somebody's gonna to convince themselves pretty easily of that from Malik Willis, particularly if he interviews well and you know, he, he gives off those kind of vibes that that dude's going to – he could go anywhere in the draft. It's just a case of where that team fits in the first round. You know what I mean? It is so important to keep that perspective, though, Sam, right? I mean, I, I talked to someone last year who thought Zach Wilson, who was the consensus number two overall pick, uh, that that had him as a, as a second rounder or yeah. just a day two prospect. He's just, he watched his tape and he said, I don't like the way he plays against pressure, which, you know, you weren't, weren't wrong. He faced pressure just a handful of times and he wasn't great in those situations, right? So um, I think our friend Josh Norris says all the time, there's almost a thousand evaluators around the NFL. Yeah. 
that are literally going to have a thousand different takes. A lot of them merge and they get, you know, get to the same area. There's, there is a lot of group think too, but if you want to find one detractor, two detractors, three detractors, you could find that person or, or three massive fans who thinks this guy is the, you know, the next best thing. So you could find whatever you want as far as evaluations on these players. Um, and the other thing I always remind myself, if you, when you redraft three, four, five years down the road, there's probably 15 guys that are top 32 players in a draft class that weren't even close to first round mock drafts, sure. right? Third rounders, undrafted free agents. So it is not just a crapshoot, but it is, uh, there's so many things that go into successful drafts and successful draft picks and who the best 32 players are and I think in it's, any given draft. It's also why it's very easy for guys to, for reaches to happen you know, relative to where people think they're, they're going to be right. People are like, um, there's no way this guy goes this high, like reaches happen all the time because it just takes one team to like that guy more than the group think or more than the consensus. And if that team is picking in the right spot, they draft him. Like think the Raiders, right? The Raiders have spent the last five years reaching for guys in the first round. If you had said in any one of those years that, Hey, Damon Arnett is going to go wherever he went 20, that Henry Ruggs will be wide receiver one out of that group. That, you know, all the picks that the Raiders made, you'd be like, none of those are going to happen. Like, those are unrealistic. They're, that they're nowhere near that good a player. But it only takes one team to believe in their own board and go, yep, that's what we like. It's harder in a way for a guy to slip because it kind of takes all of the teams to agree and go, nope, this guy isn't worth where he's going. So it's why you tend to see these, like, mini slides rather than, you know, the, rather than a giant, like, this guy's just never going to go as high as you think he is. You see these sort of minim, minim, mini little slides in the first round of a guy slipping five, ten spots because there's a cluster of teams that don't believe in him. But I think generally speaking, particularly with the quarterbacks, it's such an important position. There are going to be 32 different rankings of these guys. Somebody is going to talk themselves into one of the, you know, a quarterback somewhere in this draft, and they're going to go higher than people think they should. But the, the flip side of that is for a guy like uh, Malik Willis, I think it's going to be pretty hard for him to slide like all the way out of the first round just because there's too much upside. Well, it was a good mock, Sam. It's a good start. I mean, most of it's not going to happen. You're, you're way off. It's not the worst mock ever, though. I've seen worse mock drafts. Sweet. I've absolutely seen worse mock drafts. That's all I'm shooting for. Like, just, not, just don't be the worst. That's all you can just ask for. Just don't be the worst. There's always a worse mock draft somewhere, though. And there's always going to be one worse than yours. <laughs> the next so one. never forget that. I'll have one. I think I'm I think I'm up at the end of the month here. Um, so there's more there's more uh, tape to grind and there's more analysis to be had. We got the senior bowl, the East West Shrine game, we've got the combine, all sorts of good stuff. But um good start by you. By and the way. Uh, my I think the most fun part is talking through the decisions, not so much what the actual answer is. Since bringing him up yesterday, uh, Calvin Austin, the Memphis speedster wide receiver, has been still lighting it up at the Senior Bowl. There was even a play that I tweeted that was Malik Willis to Calvin Austin. I mean, that's just Ooh. that's just Senior Bowl magic right there. That's what we're looking for. Is this officially your guy? Yeah, let's go for it. Let's. I mean, he might not be my only guy, but I, I am officially on board the Calvin Austin Hype train right now. All right. Calvin Austin. You heard it here first. The first one to mention Calvin Austin. I guarantee it. Absolutely. Coming from Sam. Uh, don't forget, NFL Pod gets you 25% off all every subscription over at pff.com. You've got your uh, draft guide as part of your Edge or Elite package. It's all over there. 25% off using the promo code 
NFL pod, again, if that doesn't work, Super 25 will work, at least through the Super Bowl. Uh, we'll be back here on Monday. I think we'll get into some AFC and NFC offseason team needs. So we'll do more of this going team by team and talking offseason as we get into uh, more team building season. Man, this is the best part, best time of the year. Free agency and the draft right around the corner. So thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll be back on Monday with more great offseason NFL content.